Okay, friends, if you could... Uh, um, All right, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to um, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, and our passage today will be begin in verse 13. And um, the scripture reading will be from verse 13 all the way through verse 19 of chapter 4. So the scripture reading will be chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, all the way through 19 of chapter 4. So it's a longer passage here, but there's some of the themes that overlap. Our teaching will focus on uh, just the beginning of this section. Um, But if you will uh, follow along as we do what we're uh, called to do, commit ourselves to the public reading of Scripture and to the preaching of the Gospel. And so we will do that uh, this morning. Beginning in verse... 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this, with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they were surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, They might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we, having heard your word, we ask now that you would teach us from it what you want us to know. And what do you want us to believe about you and to believe about your son, Jesus Christ. And then to do what it is that you call us to do in response. So help us to know and understand. And God, I pray that the meditation of um, that, the the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. As we reflect on this passage, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. So full disclosure this morning, uh, I don't have my sermon notes. I don't know where they went. Um, They just disappeared. And I was like, no, no problem. It's no problem at all. It's just a passage that talks about Christ going to preach to spirits in prison uh, and Noah and all of this. So no big deal not having my notes. So um, but I do believe that the Lord has some uh, some things for us today in this passage. There's four things I want us to look at in this, uh, this passage today. So there's going to be two points and then a couple of questions. One of those is related to the, the topic I was just mentioning to you um, in verses 19 and 20. Uh, but Peter has been, uh, has just kind of given instruction to all of them about how to live uh, as strangers and aliens in the world, just general instructions. And now the bulk of this latter part of this letter is dealing with the issue of persecution. You notice that in a couple of those things. If you've suffered in, for being a Christian, um, they were experiencing, as it says in chapter 4, verse 12, a fiery trial that is not strange to us in any way, that this is something that is to be expected. And so today I want to uh, look at two points related to how to face um, what may be next. How to face what may be next. And the focus will be on verses 13 through 22. The first point I think we want to to notice that follows on from what we looked at last week in verses 8 through 12 is quite simply this. Ready yourself to suffer persecution for doing good. Ready yourself to suffer persecution for doing good. Okay, notice what it says in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, in first reading there, it sounds like Peter is saying, if you just do good, no harm will come to you. But this seems to, to contradict what he said earlier in this letter. It seems to contradict what he says even just a couple of verses later. It contradicts what Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount, that you're going to suffer persecution for righteousness sake. I think what he's getting at here is that in general, in general, the general basic idea, if you're doing good, you most likely will be left alone. There's nobody is going to harm you. Another way to look at it is uh, is to add ultimately after the word harm there. So even if you do experience harm, persecution, suffering and trials, ultimately because of what Christ will do for us to those who trust in him, that he will restore and redeem all of us in all of creation. You could understand it this way. Now, who is there to ultimately harm you or 
harm you ultimately if you are zealous for what is good. Meaning that you will be resurrected and restored. Either way, he gets to the real issue here in the next verses about being ready for persecution. Notice what it says in verse uh, 14. And he noticed this. He says, even if you were to escape suffering and persecution in this life for doing good, which is which may be unlikely, um, if you do experience it, you will be blessed. Notice verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Peter cycles back to this in the next chapter. Same verse. Notice um, chapter 14 of, excuse me, verse 14 of chapter 4. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So he says, remember, how do you ready yourself to suffer persecution in those times? Even in times when they're good and you're not perhaps not experiencing any persecution. Remember, always have it ready in your mind that if you do experience persecution, that you are blessed by Christ, blessed by God himself. That's the first thing he wants you to do to be ready. Here's the second one. Do not fear. Notice the rest of verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Therefore, do, and do as Jesus himself taught. Do not fear them, nor be troubled. And Peter adds, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So do not fear those who intend to hurt you, harm you, insult you, persecute you. Next, he says, instead of fearing those who insult you, revere Christ instead. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. couple things to notice about Christ here. He is the Lord and he is holy. And this quote actually comes from Isaiah chapter um, chapter eight. Let me kind of read that here for you. Um, Peter seems to be kind of uh, picking a couple of key words from from uh, from the prophet Isaiah in chapter eight. In verse I'll begin in verse uh, eleven. And this is in the context of the coming Assyrian invasion. And the Lord speaks these words to Isaiah. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of his people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of israel and a chap a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of jerusalem notice what he says there do not fear what they fear nor be in dread but the lord of hosts him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. It's a very fascinating thing that Peter is doing here. He's talking even in the midst of uh, uh, using drawing from Israel's history on an event that's uh, seeming to bring disaster on this people. He even says, even in that moment, do not fear. But honor him as holy. And then notice what Peter does here is he actually takes uh, this passage from the Old Testament. And then if you notice the all capital letters for Lord there, he, Peter, substitutes Christ for 
the Lord in this quotation here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Very fascinating thing that he's doing there. Also, notice that it says in the Isaiah passage, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. The Lord of hosts being the term, um, the Lord of of his armies. This is drawing on the, the character and attribute of the Lord as the conquering and victorious warrior. Peter seems to be drawing into that, that even when we might be experiencing suffering and persecution and difficulties and trials and pains and hardship from the world around us, and it might seem like we're losing, Christ is still victorious. And we'll see some of that, more of that uh, here as we go. So do not fear them, instead revere Christ. And then number third part here is notice uh, he calls them to defend their beliefs. Defend their beliefs. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is a a classic text that's used for the the field of theology known as apologetics. How many of you have heard that term apologetics before? Um, And it sounds like, you know, where we get the English word like apology, like I'm saying, I'm sorry. You know, I'm so sorry I offended you or I'm sorry you were offended by my comments. Like that's the modern day of apology. Right. Uh, But that's not what this this uh, apology means. Um, The apologia, the Greek word here, it means more like a defense. It means more like when you're brought to to court and you're on trial, you're giving your defense for your innocence. If you've brought in there falsely accused. You're presenting your your case in court. So what Peter is saying here, and this is the field of apologetics, is how how do I defend my faith? How do I show that my beliefs are rational and that my belief in God makes sense? And that there are evidences to prove that God exists, that Jesus existed, that he really was crucified, that he really came from from the dead. It's a very fascinating field of apologetics here peter is just saying every one of you needs to be prepared to give a defense for why you have hope in the resurrected jesus christ having that defense the defense of your beliefs will help you ready yourself to suffer persecution for doing good and notice he says here to defend but without being defensive To defend without being defensive. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience. So to do it with gentleness and respect. I like what the Apostle Paul says about how it is that we speak to outsiders. The Apostle Paul says something very similar in Colossians chapter 4. And you could turn there uh, if you'd like. Just turn to your left. Right after the book of uh, Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in chapter 4, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, this would mean non-Christians, those who are outside of the church. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. It's kind of what Peter is saying here in first, uh, first Peter chapter three, when he talks about the importance of doing so with, with respect. But I like what, what Paul adds there. Let your speech always be gracious Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I like this. A lot of commentators are, what does he mean by seasoned with salt? Um, I think it says, well, make it interesting. Make it come to life. When you give your defense, 
do so in a very winsome or witty way. Sometimes it might involve a little bit of humor or irony or satire to point out, not only to defend your beliefs, but maybe even to point out the falseness of their beliefs. So to do so, be gracious in your speech, but seasoned with salt. This is why I think uh, websites like the Babylon Bee are such a gift to the church today, in this day and age. Amen. Now, some might accuse them of being uh, you know, unkind or, uh, or such a thing, which you're, you're going to get that anyway. But I love this idea of this seasoned with salt. It's okay to, to, to challenge, to do, in your defense of your beliefs and your challenging of them in their unbelief, to do so in a way that's respectful, but yet captures their attention, where they notice the flavor of it immediately. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that I hope you have. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So this is the first point. Ready yourself to suffer persecution in those ways. Next, do this. Remember Christ suffered persecution for doing good. So you ready yourself for persecution for doing good. And you remember Christ suffered persecution for doing good. Peter immediately jumps to this in the following verses. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than for doing evil. And then now he jumps to the example of Christ himself. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And if I could have you jump down now to verse 22, actually the end of 21, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected the angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Peter, again, and I think this is several times, this may be the third time where he has addressed an issue with the, the church, and then he immediately goes to Christ and his suffering as the basis to understand your own. Notice the work of Christ for our salvation required his suffering. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. This is kind of a, a shorthand term for the suffering or the passion of Christ's crucifixion on a cross. How can we, hand, how can we remember, be ready to ourselves for suffering persecution? We remember Christ suffered. And he did so innocently. So Peter says, make sure when you suffer, you do so innocently. Christ also suffered, and then notice this, he suffered for sins. Not his own, but for us. That suffering for sins is a term that's used all throughout kind of the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the sacrificial system, the atonement that was made, which applies to Jesus and his work. And then notice it adds that little word in there once. Did you see that? He suffered for sins once. I think this echoes very well what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Peter is making a connection that the writer of Hebrews has, has made in much of his his sermon, his letter, in that the sacrificial system of priests and temple and offerings and altars all pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ, that they were types and shadows of the real one. And so notice what the writer of Hebrews says, and I think this is Peter saying, um, saying it very short, just alluding to this, this idea. For since the law 
has but, uh, excuse me, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. How do we know this? Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Notice what he's saying here. This was the sacrificial system repeated daily and weekly and yearly for centuries. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and in sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. When he said above, you neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The writer of Hebrews is making a very fascinating, uh, noticing a very fascinating with that point about sacrifices and offerings. And instead you have one who says, behold, I have come to do your will. And he says, this is the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. But notice these next few verses. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected all time, for all time, those who are being sanctified. Notice the, the contrast, this, the writer of Hebrews pointing out the systems, the sacrifices was done, was done repeatedly over and over and again. But when Christ offered his, he did it by a single sacrifice once. The sacrificial system was not effective it was just a type. It was just a shadow. It was a picture of what was to come. And that was Christ's final and complete and perfect sacrifice for our sins on that cross. He didn't have to do it again and again. Your sins through faith in Christ, all of them have been placed upon Christ. And in his one sacrifice, he's completely brought forgiveness of sins that's just amazing i think that's what peter is getting at here christ suffered for sins for your sins once meaning it's done and look at the result that he might bring us to god that it is through christ the one mediator between god and man that we actually come to god into his presence. Friends, when we come together like we are now, Christ has promised that he is present here with us and he brings us to God. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, uh, but made alive in the spirit. And now... Uh, let me turn with jump to, to the end of verse 21 and verse 22 to just to focus here on this whole work of Christ. And we'll come back to these other uh, little things in this passage. Um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So not only was Christ suffered on a cross, he was buried and he was raised to life. 
And not only that, he has gone, verse 22, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Three other things are captured in, in this, the, the work of Christ. So we have his, his, his life, his death, his burial. We have his resurrection, his ascension, right? Who has gone into heaven and his, what's called his session, which is the fancy word for seated. Peter just says, and is at the right hand of God. But in, if you look at your cross references there for, <coughs> for that passage, you see that uh, in other places it's referred to him seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven with all power and with all authority. I just love what Peter is doing here. He's saying, you're, you're going to experience suffering. You're, you're going to have fiery trials. I mean, in... If you do good, you might be able to avoid them. But, uh, but ultimately, even if you do do good, you could experience harm and persecution. Don't fear. Instead, ready yourself for the, the persecution for doing good. And remember Christ suffered for doing good. And that good was your salvation. Now, a couple of other uh, questions. So I said there was two points and two questions. Um. I don't have a lot of time to deal with this verse, do I? Let's look at verse, verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay, so here's two questions. Let me just give you both these questions. What does Christ preach to spirits in prison mean? Okay. What does Christ preached to spirits in prison mean? This is one of the, the trickiest passages I think I've ever had to encounter in, in preparing to teach a portion of scripture. Uh, I tweeted earlier this week to, uh, you know, other Twitter friends of mine, you know, who are pastors and just said, hey, just prayers appreciated. I've preached through Leviticus, Psalms, Daniel, Hebrews. What was the other one? Revelation. Revelation. Yes. I like I the dumbest five books to pick to preach on, right? You know, it, with your a young pastor, young, um, young pastor. I and I said I went through I went through all of those those books of the Bible, and I have yet to come across one as tricky and as difficult as this one. Um, so let me try in like two minutes to go through that. It, it has a whole lot of questions for it. And if you wanted to kind of, we could study it maybe in a home group or something, we could talk about it. But here's some of the questions you have to think about. Well, who are the spirits? Are those human persons? Are those demons and angels? What does that mean by the spirits? In prison, where is the prison? Or what is it? Is it hell? Nowhere else in the Bible is, is hell used for a, for a prison. Or is this prison used for, for hell? Are these unbelievers who died? Are these Old Testament believers who have died? Are they fallen angels? Um, what is it that Christ preached? Did he preach a second chance for repentance after they had died? Is he preaching just that his work has been completed? Um, is he preaching like a, a final condemnation? Is he just preaching that, his, that he has been victorious? And when did he preach? Because notice in verse 20, he says, be, you, he brings in this whole issue with Noah. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So was, he, was Christ preaching in the days of Noah? Or is he preaching to the people of the days of Noah? Was he preaching between his crucifixion and his resurrection? There's so many questions. Um, and there's at least five different ways of interpreting this passage. And Martin Luther, who was probably one of the most dogmatic of reformers, um, I think he would he wanted answers for things and he found a lot of answers for things and he was pretty dogmatic on his positions. He says of this passage, I have no idea what the apostle meant. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. It's one of the most curious and difficult of passages. Now, there's a couple of things. Um, I think uh, some will say this is Christ going to proclaim the basic two categories. Christ is going to proclaim to those who are in hell after his crucifixion, but before his resurrection. 
Some have said that is giving him a second chance. I don't believe that is the case, that there's not a second chance of salvation because as the passage, just the passage that we just read in Hebrews right before that, it says, just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Um, probably the, the, the view that makes the most sense to me is that Peter is alluding to a, a, a writing of Jewish scripture, not scripture, excuse me, a Jewish writing called the book of Enoch. I think there's first and second Enoch. And that he's referring to an event there with Enoch, who is a grandfather of Noah. And that might play into it there. But I like Martin Luther's view. <laughs> I, have, I don't really know for sure. But I do know this, that whatever it means in that context, because you went from Christ's suffering to his resurrection and his ascension and session, that this has to do something with his victory. That he's won. And so that helps to remember, as we are suffering persecution for doing good, remember Christ suffered persecution for doing good and yet was victorious. And here's the next question. What does baptism now saves you mean? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it seems to say, wait a second, that sounds kind of clear. Baptism now saves you. And how is this tied to the Noah thing? And again, this is quite uh, complex here. But let me just answer some of the real basic ones here. Is this baptism effective just in doing it? Or in what's known as ex opere, operato, you know, that baptism will save you. Uh, I don't believe that that is the case because all throughout the scripture, we are saved by grace through faith. In Christ. And so baptism here, I think he is saying, um, corresponds to this deliverance through water, like you'd have from Noah, now saves you. And it's not in the act itself, the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. This is where I see the, the faith part coming in. Why Peter includes all of that in this passage that is up for debate. But I think it's really clear in this. What's really clear in all of this is that he is tying. He is tying the suffering of Christ for doing good as the main motivation to help those who are suffering and to encourage them to do good. Because if they are going to be suffer for doing good and not do bad. But if they suffer for doing good, they need to remember that Christ himself suffered for doing good in our good. And that we remember these things. We remember that we are identified and united with Christ. Like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter six, where he also connects that to our baptism and he connects that in that passage to why it is that we have died to sin, because through faith in Christ and being baptized into Christ, we have been buried with him. I think Peter is saying here in this context of this baptism, you will experience suffering and persecution. And if you do be ready and just remember Christ himself suffered for you. Amen. Friends, we want to take a moment as we close to pray for those who are suffering, Christians who are suffering all across uh, the world today. And they're suffering not for sharing the gospel. They're suffering just for righteousness sake. I think they're suffering just because they're Christians. Even uh, just north of the border in Canada, they're experiencing a great deal. Um, so many of you probably are familiar with what's going on in Canada. There's a couple of prayer requests in the weekly. Um, <laughs> um, so just be in prayer for them throughout the week. And I'd like to pray for them uh, now. And then I had seen this this morning 
Um, I don't know if somebody else can help me with the details here, but remember Pastor James Coates at Grace Life Church in uh, Edmonton, I believe it is. And he was put in jail for having church services, and then he was released, and then he has a trial date. And his trial is set for Tuesday, Tuesday the 3rd. And I guess now that they have said that it's there's not going to be witnesses, what are the details? Did you see? What you're saying. Yeah, there's... Yes. And James, and James isn't even going to be there. So, I mean, you're basically he's going to be on trial and he's not even going to be present. That, if I understood that. Huh? Sounds like a kangaroo coat. Now, I'm just relaying what I just saw from somebody who tweeted that from their church, who, who is a member of the church and has known the details there. So, um, friends, there are people who are suffering affliction for being a Christian. This passage is really, really relevant uh, to them and is relevant uh, to us, if it if it isn't uh, already, it will be. So let's pray for them, and then we're going to close in um, in one final song before we go. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we truly are grateful that we could come, that we could hear Your Word together as Your people. That every time we meet together, that this is. Um, this is a revolutionary act. <laughs> when we get together, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and that Caesar is not. And so we thank you that we are able to come together, that we build up this brotherhood among us to strengthen us and encourage us to walk faithfully for you in this world. And so God, we pray that now you would strengthen us by your spirit to do that. We thank you for this passage that reminds us of the suffering of Christ and that reminds us that the fiery trials that we are going to experience are not strange to us. But help us to be ready for them. Help us to remember, as we saw earlier in this series, that sufferings come first and glories will follow. And so help us to remember that and to remain faithful to you. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing um, fiery trials even now, merely for being obedient to your word, to gather together as your people and to worship. So God, we pray that, the, that you strengthen them. God, we pray that, um, that malicious and um, evil and wicked attempts to subvert justice are recognized and called out. God, we pray that those who are even doing wrongdoing would recognize that, would be brought to conviction of their sin, and to come to you. And God, you, we, we do what you ask us to do, and that is pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, God, we lift up all of these prayer requests to you this morning and give you thanks and praise that you hear. And it's in Christ's mighty name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand for our closing song.
brothers and sisters, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go.